Okay, welcome back to Giant Talk, everyone, the world's first OKR podcast. And today I'm joined for the second part of our mini-series by Simon Norrie, um, Empathy Creation Specialist at Crustarian. Um, in our first podcast episode, we discussed purpose and disruption from the organisation's point of view. And we want to flip it on its head today. So we're going to look, it, look at it from an employee's point of view and why and what organisations are potentially missing. So Simon, great to have you with me again today. Do you want to just recap kind of for our listeners that anyone didn't join us for the first episode on your background? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, thank you for the opportunity there, Be Giants, for this. Uh, so I think from my point of view, Custerian, and I'm a co-founder of Custerian, was formed really around uh, trying to make work better for colleagues in organisations. And we're very focused on creating alignment between why business exists, the purpose, and the outcomes that the colleagues are creating. And we very much want to tap into colleagues as being the most sort of underutilised resource in a business. And we come from a business background. We've run directorates in companies as well. And we always thought it was interesting that quite a lot of change was done to colleagues rather than with colleagues. So very much my role within there is to look at the, the ability to bring colleagues and why people in business do what they do. So that's my background. Perfect. Thank you. So we'll dive straight into today's conversation. So first off, um, a growing number of employees who are forced to work at home, obviously kind of what's gone on this year, and who struggled in the early days of lockdown now don't actually want to go back to the old ways. So what struggles do you envisage for employees in voicing this to the employers and any tips you could kind of offer for those people? Yeah, so I think and we talked in the other podcast about some of the stats that float around to do with the amount of people who genuinely can and do want to work uh, from home. Uh, and these figures are more, you know, want to. There's a whole lot of logistics issues why people can't work at home. You know, they might be in single bed flats, etc. Uh, but there's only sort of 7 to 12% of people actually do uh, enjoy working from home at any point in time. Uh, the bit we didn't share before on that, they tend to be of a slightly older profile as well. So they've got reasons why they might have already got a career and be doing something else, but they will work from home on an ongoing basis. I think from my point of view, in terms of colleagues trying to voice some of the issues they've got, you've got to look at how companies traditionally try and engage with the colleagues anyway. And it's relatively recently that people have sort of texted away from town hall type briefings or just issuing newsletters to people or running through some sort of objective process. And a lot of them haven't got the sort of the processes and systems they need to try and understand and listen to the colleagues. And they were really reliant on getting feedback through the supervisor and the management teams. And I think from colleagues' point of view, it's, well, what can I do to try and do that? And part of that will be, and I think this is something that a lot of companies are going to struggle with because what we have noticed with people who are working from home is they just spend far more time doing stuff. They don't have those gaps and those breaks that bounce from one Zoom call to another. But what the colleagues need to do is try and carve time out to engage with the management teams and go, look, the stuff we need to talk about, the stuff we need to understand about what I want to do at work and the stuff that I want to do. Those that have got HR teams, I would be surprised if the HR teams and people teams aren't trying to engage them, but I would be encouraging them to be actively engaged with the people team and going, look, you know, have we started to have a think about what we're going to do? Have we started to have a think about how that might affect us? And we started to have a think about how we may want to work and to start trying to take the conversation into the business. And that can be quite hard. A lot of companies have got a very much a downward push type culture when it comes to information. But I think for colleagues, it's about taking that information up. Clearly listening to this podcast, though, there'll be a number of senior managers and directors as well. And I would just say to them, your colleagues, you will be feeling a lot of this stuff yourself. You might want to think about reaching out to your colleagues and starting those initial discussions about, right, okay, this isn't going to last forever. 
how do we feel we might want to take advantage of it and what are the issues and opportunities that we've got facing us yeah and I think it's a good point I think I suppose it kind of goes back to that rolling with the punches almost. Don't just roll with the punches. Actually actively engage and actively have that conversation rather than just rather than let's just go with what comes to us. Let's actually make a decision on how we want to work moving forward. So I think that's a really nice point to make. And there is people do have influence over that as well. They, they don't just have to go with what they're being told, really, I guess. Um, so part of awesome OKRs is obviously something that we work with a lot regularly um, and they're regularly focused on team check-ins, something that we mentioned in the first of the mini-series. Um, obviously, the likes of Zoom, Slack, Teams, I mean, there's multiple platforms now have made this process possible remotely. So, and actually maybe easier than getting teams into a room to do things together whilst they're in the office. So do you think this is the future? And if we do go back to the office, do you see this still being a way of kind of life of remote meetings as well as kind of face-to-face? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're, we're a professional services company that provides advice to people. Uh, so we've sort of worked in some of these ways ourselves. I think from our point of view, what's usually quite surprising when we go into organisations is when you say to them, oh, we work collaborative and we work cross-functionally and we have stand-ups, they have stand-ups with our team. They work cross-functionally, meaning with people who were sat near them in the office. And they don't sort of really reach around organisations as well as they should. And I think, and then we, we've changed the way in which we do workshops as a consequence of this. And we're probably not going to go back to the old way of doing workshops. And by that, I mean, workshops typically in our environment would have been one or two days long. But that's because of the logistics of trying to get everybody together. Mm. I think fundamentally to me, you'd go, right, how do we think about getting the most out of colleagues with the least waste but use some of that free space to give them a little bit more time around what they're trying to do and that's one of the things that isn't happening at the moment people are getting bounced from zoom meeting to zoom meeting but the principle of being able to get people to attend meetings in person or virtually to increase the frequency of them but reduce the duration of them and focus on the outcome is one that i think is here to stay it's absolutely the right way to use the resource in an organization yeah and i think like you say it's a balanced approach to it because i know and i from my personal point of view I know kind of I've I've done that I've jumped from zoom meeting to zoom meeting to zoom meeting and I know you can come off and your eyes are just so tired because you've been on the screen staring at someone or yourself for the vast vast majority of a call but I think you say the balance is absolutely what it's all about so completely agree and I think we'll see that a lot more in the future um I think for a lot of employees maybe a sense of nostalgia for maybe what the office used to be like so they kind of want to return to, like you say, what was before. Um, so what considerations would you suggest to employees before a, before they're kind of ordered to go back? So I kind of, I suppose this is a mix of the first question and this question. So very much for me, again, my personal point of view, I kind of miss the office. I miss the kind of chat. I miss the being able to bounce ideas off people. So before people are ordered back, would there be any advice that you'd give to employees, I guess? So one of the things, and this is part of the sort of, trying to understand why people do what they do. One of our philosophical approaches is organisations are like people, by the way, which is why we bang on about purpose, which is why we're aligned to OKRs. But at a more fundamental level, people like to keep safe. And the way people keep safe is they carry on doing the same stuff again and again, even when the outcome might not be one they desire. And that's a really interesting what you end up into all sorts of psychological profile there if you're not careful. But within a business context, it's about trying to take a little bit of a step back and look at how you're working now and what of those bits you think are good and you'd like to keep 
what of them you think are bad and you would like to get rid of them. So there's an opportunity to take a sort of third-person view to your work life now and look at it and go, look, if I was looking at how I'm working, what are the good bits, what are the bad bits? How can I think about how I might be able to work in the future in a way that actually helps me feel better, enables me to contribute, and avoid some of the downsides and stuff that I don't like? And get yourself ready for that type of conversation. And as we mentioned at the top of this, either if people should come asking, but if at some point you might want to start pushing these types of information forward, because you will have a behavioural driver to go back to the way it was, and some of what was happening before, you probably didn't enjoy. So it's to try and be clear about, well, those are the bits I didn't enjoy. And they, I mean, they're not massively sophisticated. Most people don't enjoy two-hour commutes. But you might put up with a two-hour commute once a week because of the banter and the thing you get in the office. So it's to try and have a look at the way in which you're working and have a think about that in terms of what's good for me, what's good for the company, what's bad for me and what's bad for the company. And get ready with those types of conversations and those types of information. And if there are channels to push that information through, start using them now. And if they're not, open dialogues with your colleagues. I mean, we were just talking before about being bounced there probably is something where, I mean, I know somebody who started to put a thing on the bottom of emails, but a few people have done this, which is, look, just because I'm sending you an email at seven o'clock at night doesn't mean I expect to reply. Yeah. It just means that I like to work at seven o'clock at night. You could put a thing in as a company, you could put a suggestion in. Can we have a thing that says the ca- there's got to be a 15 minute gap between Zoom meetings, everybody? And you might want to end a Zoom meeting because anybody want to stay around for five-minute chat and chuck this type of thing into the five-minute chat at the end. So those are the types of things I would ask people to look for. You will be behaviourally driven to go back to how things were before because it will make you feel safe. Some of that you probably didn't enjoy. So can you jettison some of that and start thinking about it? And I think one of the things you mentioned there about is that I think for a lot of people, the reason why they do miss the office is that kind of more emotional side of things. So the support, the kind of chat, the banter, like you say. Um, and obviously with what we do with OKRs, kind of we know how important communication is from a business point of view, but also kind of from an emotional point of view as well. So um, we've kind of noticed that teams and from our point of view as well, we've been kind of missing the office banter. Um, so one thing I kind of wanted to ask you was, would you keep business and personal chat to separate channels? And have you had many thoughts about that really? I know. So, so it was one of these, a mild intake of breath when I was thinking about this question. <laughs> But I, I come from a background in a culture that used to completely separate business and personal. Uh, I, I think that is wrong and has been wrong for a little bit of a while, I think. I think when you, and we use it at a sort of mechanical level sometimes in companies when they're talking about the difficulty of dealing with systems. You go, yeah, weird, isn't it? How many use the mobile phone to get here to book your system, to check your travel, to check the weather? Yet you get a system in a company and you can't even order pens, you know. Uh, <laughs> And I think there's a little bit on that in terms of communication because some of the ways in which people communicate and engage with each other socially in their social lives are very valid within a work context. We've worked with a little, I'm not, this is only one that we work with, by the way, I'm not a massive advocate or not advocate of it, Facebook Workplace. Facebook Workplace, because a lot of the communications and methods you learn on Facebook, which I'm not, by the way, <laughs> but they're, they're very appropriate to work in a business. So I think my view is you should probably have pure business pure social and a bit in the middle that overlaps that recognizes that human component and to some level it would probably have to be curated by the business and curated by the colleagues to just you know keep the boundaries uh, right because there are you know there are different rules that apply in personal business life but i genuinely believe the lines are blurred and i think because we've got so much homeworking now and people are getting much less uptight unless you happen to be on 
BBC about a kid coming into a room and asking for a biscuit <laughs> and all that. I think naturally it, it's easier. It works better like that. But it's trying to keep those boundaries. So I think there should be some things that are, that's definitely personal. This is definitely business. There is a bit in the middle, which is work and banter. And how you facilitate that in a productive way would be an interesting conversation that I think people should be having. Yeah, and I think, like you say, I think there's got to be that slight blurring, but to keep it separate. I know, I know we've kind of worked with people where they've used maybe the likes of Slack and things like that, where they've had different channels for different kind of, I suppose, themes, really, business or kind of more a chat theme. So there is kind of ways around doing it, but it's very much setting it out with kind of the people you work with to make sure what's right for your organisation. Koan is a purpose-built solution for managing your OKRs. Helps your team achieve their objectives and key results, helps them get aligned, and it helps them stay engaged. Shared spreadsheets simply don't scale when you're using OKRs properly, and you're not going to have a maximum impact with them. But with Koan, you can scale your OKRs right across your entire company, keeping your team super motivated and moving everybody in the right direction. Roger, what's one of your favourite features about Koan? So the thing that I really love about Koan and have done ever since uh, I first saw it was how it really puts the conversation around OKRs at the heart of the system and it really helps stimulate that, which obviously brings really good collaboration. You know, they've got this uh, reflections feature which uh, helps uh, individuals really prepare for the the team conversation which is going to come up where the collaboration is going to take place so that would definitely be the thing for me which is the the killer feature of the system so one of the things we've spoke about we spoke about in both podcasts is kind of change we want to do so do you think employees are being listened to and how important is it that they are yeah i mean my fear is no and it'd be interesting if people listen to this and go yes uh I think there was such a rush to get people home. And I mean, I worked closely with some people who were very much at the coalface of that. There wasn't really a lot of nicety conversations going on, I have to say. And I don't mean, you know, deliberately trying to be derogatory, but it was literally, I need to get these 600 people home and I've got a week to do it. Oh, I've got no business. Uh, but equally, I think the colleagues understood that as well. They understood that, you know, we have got to do this and we've got to deliver it as, as, as fast as we can. They've then come down to now going through a series of dips and troughs of various different lockdowns, etc. I'm not sure the focus has been on really trying to engage with the colleagues. And then you see the other stuff that's coming out, which is, you know, the growing mental health issues that are starting to sort of surface. Uh, people starting to get worried. People starting to react badly. There's already some pushback states. But in the UK about us being forced to do what we're doing, all that doesn't take paint a picture of being very well engaged about what the current consequences are of people working long-term from home. Uh, uh, Interestingly, I do know some companies that have the option to have people coming back into the office, and for whatever reason, people are not doing it as well. And I don't know whether people should already be trying to sort of make sure these types of things are working because they may not have the channels to listen to the colleagues remotely, so they probably should try and get something within the safe guidelines, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But it's how do I listen to colleagues? Because I think a lot of the ways of doing it used to be because they're there and they talk yeah. on it. And if they're not, then they don't and I don't hear them. Yeah, so. if they don't say anything, they're not, they're kind of, um, they're fine because they're not saying anything. If they do say anything, they'll speak up kind of thing if they're not happy. So um, yeah, I kind of get that point. Um, so to move on to organisations a little bit and what we touched on from the first kind of podcast do you think they have a better understanding of the value of homework and options for colleagues now because of the forced situation they've been in this year? 
And in your opinion, are they managing the situation, expectations, and most importantly, probably considering the personal challenges and circumstances? So obviously every employee has a different home life, a different kind of home office life. So do you think people, the organizations that you've worked with, is that more of a consideration now than it ever ever has been? Yeah, I think we're definitely seeing signs that people are starting to consider it. One of the things that I think is worth us taking a little bit of a stop and reminding ourselves is that at the end of the day, people are people and everybody's being put through this mill. Uh, somebody did a post once, which I'm not going to name, but was talking about can't get all the contact centre and don't understand they've got something important to do. I think it's like changing bank, that's worse. And I put a comment back, which was you do understand that they're subject to COVID as well, just because you don't work in a contact centre doesn't make you not prone to COVID. But the supervisors, managers and directors are still in that same boat as well. Uh, but I do think they're starting to now understand that. And they have seen the value of working from home. Some of the things that you get in terms of better collaboration that happens faster, that you get to better outcomes quicker and that you do it. And if you put the, I've got a massive head office over, which cost me a lot of money. If you put having them working in disparate teams, I am saving myself all the travel time. I'm saving myself all the rest of that. So I think they're starting to understand it from a mechanical point of view, how it works. And they're starting to think about how that might work. The thing that I worry is that within that, what they haven't yet worked out is has that collaboration happened because they haven't got the management controls in to not let it happen? So did this happen because that was the only way they could get it to work? So they've had unmonitored teams working together. People have been able to stand up things. So I think there's a recognition and a starting an understanding of rather than spending the time thinking, how do I want it to be in the future? So I think they're at that sort of nascent stage of going, God, we can't keep this going forever. We've got to do something different. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. Not really very sure which bits of all that and how it will fit together. Just something I wanted to add to that, and I suppose a question to put to you. Um, do you think that um, organisations are in any way worried about employees in terms of the hours they may be working at home because they don't have that cut off with being home and office based? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they are, but there was, I mean, it's an interesting one, is it? And again, this partly comes back because I work in a professional service environment and you do whatever hours you need to, yeah. but I'm not always worked in professional services. I've run marketing teams in business before. But I think there's, it's easy to turn a blind eye to people who are working long hours. Because in the good old days, you used to walk out of the office and go, why is Jenny still here? <laughs> and you might wander over and go, what are you still doing here? Mm-hmm. And if it happens for seven days on a trot uh, and you're in, you go, what on earth are you doing? Now, are you really even aware? Are people running reports on how much time people are spending on? And actually, I'm aware that some people, not at a personal level, but they're starting to look at the amount of times people are on meetings and things like that. So, yeah, but I think they're starting to be. But I, again, I, I think there's a concern, but it's easier to probably not take it front of mind, whereas it was very easy to take it front of mind if you notice people burning themselves out at a mm-hmm. desk. And there's plenty of evidence that these things are happening. People have taken the two hours of safe commute. They've not invested it in time with the family. They've invested it with more Zoom time. You know, So the, those are the types of things. And we talked before about, well, if we know you're only productive for 25 minutes, why are you setting up one-hour Zoom calls? Yeah. Yeah. You know, And why are you setting up Zoom calls at 7 o'clock when you know somebody started work at 7 a.m.? All those things, I think, are probably going on and just need surfacing somewhere or somehow. Yeah, interesting. Thank you. Um, so one thing I want to touch on now is kind of change when teams are split because obviously teams aren't together in the vast majority of cases at the moment 
So what kind of advice would you give on how to maybe onboard a change or would you just say kind of roll with the punches, kind of this is it, it is what it is. But obviously you don't want employees to feel like bystanders that are being dragged along. So kind of what advice would you give in that circumstance, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I think this is very much a evolving phase. The, the core of all good change is good project management. The core of all good project management is to basically run a program, have a series of actions assigned to people and hold people to task. There is an argument that that's actually perhaps being made easier rather than harder, right? because obviously you can do all of that remotely and you can send your reports remotely and you can make sure you've hauled people to account and you can have more meetings. The thing that's more difficult too, though, is within those environments, a lot of it was still around personal presence. It was still around being there to start managing the change. It was still around trying to understand what it was that people were doing. And you would do that by engaging or talking to them or visiting them or wandering off the desk. So I think the sort of core components of change are probably as easy, if not slightly easier than they were. The mechanics of program and project management are probably as easy as they were. The bit around cajoling and holding people to task mm-hmm. and how you actually get them to do what they're meant to do by when they do it, that I think has probably become a lot harder, particularly in organisations that didn't have some element of homeworking or some element of programme or programme changing in the first place. So if you wouldn't normally do change through a project type approach, if you didn't normally have some sort of homeworking component, you've now layered a level in which might make it extremely difficult for you to get anything done. And might be one of the reasons why people are running back-to-back meetings because there's this, it's presenteerism by Zoom, isn't it? Yeah. If they're on a Zoom call, I know where they are. You know, They're not doing the washing and they're not making tea. They're on this Zoom call doing something. But I think I'm, I've got a slam dunk answer for that one yet, I don't think. I think it's, it, it's, it, it's an involving an interesting one. I have worked with global businesses though, and we've run global change programs and they've worked perfectly successfully, but the people at either end are able to communicate and talk to people and go and visit them, see them and hold them to account for things. There's always some element of the two in any form of change program. And I don't think we've got the answer for it yet. Interesting. I think obviously it's like you say, it's adapting all the time, isn't it? So it's kind of putting new ideas and sees things to make it as best possible for organisations and employees. So, um, one thing, obviously, you know, we advocate at TBG is cross-functional OKRs and something we mentioned in our previous mini-series podcast as well. And we see this being more important than ever, um, especially as it comes to keeping kind of teams aligned. And I suppose I just wanted to put it to you to say, do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And that is the one component. I'm pointing up, even though there is no open, this is a podcast. <laughs> uh, but to the previous question, which is, is there a component of change that should be easier? Spreading the message to people who want to engage with change is one of the best ways to get change going. Having, therefore, better and easier access to cross-functional people who are engaged in and want to contribute to change, who may be oddly out of role, but it doesn't matter, they've embraced the change, they want to help get on with it, is definitely something that's easy in this environment. And yes, fundamentally agree. I think any company, I mean, we, we had this conversation with a couple of clients in the very early days, they used to say, we want to engage the business and make it more change-orientated and encourage collaboration. How do you do that? You go, you get people in a room together and you get them to collaborate on things. Mm-hmm. And it, at that simple level, you know, why have you not got engineers in here? Well, why would we get engineers in? We're talking about solar. Well, they fit it. You know, yeah. just daft things. Like, this should make all of that aspect of it easier. So absolutely, fundamental to any change programme. And this should make it easier to deliver on that level, at least, so. Mm. And linking into that, I suppose we kind of touched on it with the cross-functional. But um, as we kind of we we envisioned, we will be working more more remotely. Do you see kind of barriers to hierarchies breaking down? And um, do you think remote working will allow for a leveling up? 
Ah, well, you say this is the $64 million question. <laughs> it goes back to, I think what's happened, uh, and I'm going to try and get this really simple because I haven't sort of formed it in my head yet. When you talk about most organisations, if they've got any scale at all, there's usually a discussion about, oh, well, there's the directors and then there's us. And then there's a manager sat in between, desperately trying to manage the chaos that goes on in it. And they've managed primarily through presenteerism, et cetera. And I think that's created a natural hierarchy in an organisation that people may or may not want. I don't know. When you look at sort of what's happened here and will it bring out, what you're saying is, right, if you can't manage through presenteerism and what we need is a stronger sense of purpose and that well, your job is to try and help the colleagues engage with that purpose and deliver to it, you're sort of flattening out things quite quickly. You remove because then the managers aren't there to manage. The managers are there to enable. The managers are there to help. And the managers are there to encourage and skill and contribute. And it changed the dynamic of the team. And I think that's probably one of the more interesting things. We haven't got a massive, I haven't got a massive answer for it yet, but I just think when you look at how companies usually manage, then what they're doing is the management team including supervisors, filling a gap. And they're spending the time trying to sort of second guess what was going on. Going forward, what we've created here is we've taken all that away. These people need another role. They're probably not going to come back to a role which is everybody's in the organisation all the time. So you're going to have to have a real think about what the role of management in an organisation is. And I think it's about to enable the colleagues to understand and deliver the purpose of the organisation, which should be clearly expressed in the framework through a mechanism such as OKRs. I think that's a really exciting thing that I've probably not explained very well. But I think it's that it, for the companies that want to get on, that definitely will be something that is a massive opportunity for them. And there's loads of evidence that companies that perform better, uh, achieve better and deliver through disruption better are flatter, more agile companies anyway. You know, mm-hmm. they're, the ones that, they're the ones that went into this better and have come out of it better. So if there's a lesson to embrace... Your managers should be enablers. They shouldn't be managers and controllers of things, I think. Perfect. And you've done my job for me again because you've done a great final thought there again. <laughs> no, I think it's a really fascinating discussion and I think that's something that's going to evolve obviously, obviously over the next kind of months and years. But I think it's we're kind of at the starting point of a lot of these discussions. So I think it's something to great to give to our Giant Talk listeners. So I just want to say a big thank you for joining us for Giant Talk for this mini-series, Simon. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it. And thank you to everyone for listening. And of course, stay safe and we'll see you soon for the next episode of Giant Talk. Thank you. Bye-bye.